Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. This episode is actually a bit of a throwback to an interview we did last year with the amazing Dr. Bonnie Teese. We have had this interview waiting in the wings for a while, and we are so glad to be finally releasing it. In this episode, you can expect everything from inclusivity in STEM to Rasputin's penis. Our chat with Bonnie covers an amazing journey through school to university, from Russia to NASA. We hope you enjoy the story. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so lovely to have you, finally. It's um, really exciting. Um, I'll start with my usual question. If you were to introduce yourself at this point in time, how would you do that? So before I answer that question, I'm just <laughs> going to tell you that every time I listen to this podcast, I think of an answer for myself. <laughs> and every time I've listened to an episode, it's changed. And I wish I had started writing them down (laughs) because now I can't remember what all the different answers have been over the past few months. (laughs) That's such a great, I mean, I feel like that's a good, a good clue that you're living and growing and changing well. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe it's just a clue that things are changing too fast. Yes. Um, I would say at the moment I'm putting a big focus on learning how to be kinder to myself, Mm. being more gentle with myself, um, giving myself the same kind of grace that I give other people. Um, And that is very difficult and takes up most of my time. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a beautiful answer though. (laughs) Yeah. And a hard endeavor. Yes, very difficult endeavor, especially if I consider where I started from and where I am now. Mm. I think it's working, but it's constant work and it's very difficult um, work because my intention is to always be very, very hard on myself and have unyielding standards. Right. (laughs) Okay. I really um, resonate with that. (laughs) Where does that start for you? Oh, you mean, I mean, even comparing where you started to where you are now, what, what is where you started? Yeah, I mean, where I started was always just being so harsh on myself. Uh, even I would have one social event and I wouldn't leave the house for a few days afterwards because I would just be tearing my part, self apart over wow. everything that I'd said. I've always felt like in my life, like an outsider and that I don't belong places. Mm. And I think a lot of that time I've put that on myself. And I started over the past few years to really not want to feel like that anymore and Mm. try to explore ways that I could feel like I fit in and to not just regulate myself to some dark corner of a room. So, yeah. (laughs) How do you, how do you even begin that journey? Do you know what I mean? Like, I I feel like, I mean, now I'm in my late twenties and a lot of my friends are in their late twenties and early thirties and they're all starting to do this work or they're all sort of like in the middle of doing this work, but how do you start that or what was it that sort of like started, started it for you? Exhausted all the time from my own narrative Mm -hmm. in my head and I just didn't want to hear it anymore. Like it's hard to have energy. It's hard to get out and do things in the day when you're just like exhausting yourself by being so negative. Mm, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what really sparked, like, I mean, I've gone in and out of therapy my whole life basically, but over the 
probably since halfway through doing my PhD, I really needed to learn <laughs> um, in order to continue how to be more positive and, and not just work myself into the ground mm-hmm. and to make sure that I could take care for myself because mm-hmm. if I didn't take care for myself, I couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a balance there, right? Like you're wanting to do your PhD as best as you possibly can, but the harder you work and the harsher you are on yourself, the worse it sort of ends up being, right? Absolutely. And I was doing like so many service activities during my PhD um, because I come from like a working class background. I really felt that I need to give back to that sort of background to allow other people to have the same opportunities. Um, And so I started working myself to the bone, uh, feeling guilty every moment I wasn't doing stuff like that. Mm. And so when I wasn't taking the time to fill my own bucket before I was doing those things, then I just, I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's so, it's refreshing to hear because it's so common. And I think like at the same time, we're not hugely aware of it until we've been doing it for so long that we're already burnt out and like had enough and hit sort of like the breaking point. Yeah. Um, so you, I want to go a little bit into like, you're doing a PhD. We finished your PhD now. Did, yes. Okay, so <laughs> do you want to go into what that, that was? Uh, yeah, so my PhD was incredibly niche and probably <laughs> not useful for the majority of humanity, <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. That's um, good, that's all that <laughs> So I was looking at um, organic compounds. So those are compounds that contain carbon um, and when they are signs of life and when they are just geology pretending to be life. <laughs> Um, and what that looks like in the history of the Earth and what that might look like on other planets and moons. Yeah, well, I kind of have two things I want to say. First one is, when did you finish your PhD? So I submitted my PhD for examination last December, but that's sort of anticlimactic because... (laughs) Then you wait months and months and months and then reviewers tell you all the mistakes you made. Yeah. Then you do corrections. Then in April, my corrections were accepted and I was conferred my degree. And then I had to wait more and more months to graduate. So I only graduated in August. Oh my God. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. But also like how anticlimactic, like you finally sort of like birthed this brainchild and then nothing nothing yeah Yeah. and (laughs) now we submit online because Mm. of covid Mm -hmm. so you don't even get to go with your pals down to the office with your printout to hand it in you just click a button and off it goes (laughs) yeah like every other essay done in university ever yeah great (laughs) (laughs) um and it's and you're right it's super niche yeah how do you get into how do you get that niche like how do you get into that yeah i just get extremely niche with all of my <laughs> interests. Yep. So, for instance, I love reality TV. And at one point in time, my biggest obsession was the TV show Survivor. Oh, and it's a good one. <laughs> it's fantastic. I loved it because I, I love the idea that reality TV producers are trying to tell a story through unreliable narrators. <laughs> and they have to piece together the story that they want to tell, but they can't tell it themselves 
And in Survivor, because this was one of the first big reality competitions that introduced like subterfuge and things like this, yeah. it makes their job even harder. <laughs> so when I was at my peak of that interest, I was um, listening to 10 hours of podcasts a week about Survivor. I was, I wrote my own fantasy league scoring system. Oh my God. Um, I made friends. I was well known in the Survivor community. I competed in an online version of Survivor and they asked me back for all stars, but I said no, because I was too hurt by being voted out from the original. Oh my God. Um, and I just tend to get like that about everything that I like. That's so cool. <laughs> um, so I turned a very vague interest in, in astrobiology and, and science fiction into something incredibly niche over time as I just borrowed right down (laughs) into something yeah that's amazing is there like a more recent niche or obsession now that the phd is done oh i think i've returned to my lifelong on and off obsession of learning languages really yes so i'm currently getting ready to move to california so i've started learning spanish um, and I have a tutor and I do Spanish every day for several hours. Um, and I just, I never had the opportunity to learn a language as a kid. Mm. And so as an adult, I, um, I taught myself Russian until I went to university and I did a Russian degree at uni, although I've subsequently forgotten almost all of the Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and I taught myself, um, German on and off for years during my PhD. Cause I did, I knew I was going to do a research stay in Germany and I wanted to speak some German while I was there. Mm. Um, so I, I taught myself for a long time. And this time now, I actually have a tutor um, instead of just trying to teach myself and, mm. and not being able to speak or hear anything because I've just been teaching myself. Yeah. Learning a language is really cool because I think that you open up a different part of your brain every single time that you do it. What's the difference that you've noticed between say learning Russian, learning German, learning Spanish? Yeah, so there are studies that language informs thought and not vice versa. So people who speak certain languages natively can actually think in different ways than other people, Mm. which is even more concerning when you think about colonization and the idea of um, dead languages and what we're actually taking away from people. Um, so there are certain many words and many concepts in English that we don't have names for. And in other languages, they have names for them. I guess the most common example brought up is Schadenfreude in German, a joy of suffering. Um, and often those kinds of examples will sort of encapsulate uh, a culture in different ways. There is a word in Russian that I'm blanking on right now, <laughs> but it means basically like the melancholy of the soul. Oh, that's and it's, so beautiful. It is beautiful and very uniquely Russian. <laughs> I think that uh, encapsulates a lot of what people think about when they think of, of Russian. Um, and so I think you get larger understanding of a culture mm. and connections between cultures and, and things that are brought up. I think one thing that's incredibly frustrating is that I've been teaching myself languages on and off for you know more than ten years, and I still can't speak another language fluently. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Um, is that that? So fair enough. I feel like I, I've also like attempted to teach myself language multiple times, and then no, I still don't know. I've got a couple of words that I sort of, you know, stuck with me, and that 
I'll think that word when that situation happens, but like, yep, I'm still not fluent. <laughs> what languages were you learning? Oh, I tried, because my background is Chinese, I tried to learn Chinese and that failed horrendously. But my, actually my sister moved to China and learned Chinese. And so she's like picked it up and can speak it really well. And then I moved to Japan and so... I've still got some Japanese as well, which is good. Very cool. Um, (laughs) Very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, I think it's easier than Chinese. I think Chinese Mm. is harder. Um, But, yeah, it's interesting the sort of things that stay with you and the sort of things that don't. Yes, I definitely think that. I um, actually was somewhere just a few months ago and um, somebody – uh, came to where I was and they were Russian and they didn't speak very much English and as they were speaking to me I was thinking oh my gosh I can't believe that I've gotten everything and I'm not useful in the one situation in five years where oh this God. has come up and then like you know four hours later I could remember everything that I could have said no. back to this person that they then the information they needed and I was so <laughs> frustrated but it's there like it just sits with you yes. somewhere and then just appears yes yeah and you said that you you studied Russian like you went to university and studied Russian I did yes it was uh, one of my majors in undergrad and I went to Russia for student exchange really okay I want to go into that <laughs> obviously but okay so you did your undergrad and you majored in Russian and uh, English and then later I added on a science degree uh, and my major was the least science major you could have um, which was museum studies Wow. Which technically you could do as an arts major or a science major. And your core units were the same, but the electives you would do were science or arts. So I had some, you know, science electives, but it wasn't like a, a full out science degree like everybody else that I know has done. It's so deeply ironic that you ended up. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay. We're going to circle. This is going to be a very cyclical (laughs) structure. But, okay, you learnt the Russian. You went to Russia. Mm. In what year of your degree was that? Oh, it was several years in because actually I didn't get into university. I was rejected. And I had to do a bridging course for disadvantaged students. Mm -hmm. And then... um, I got in and I was at Wollongong University and I was doing English and European studies mm-hmm. and I had to learn French because they didn't have Russian. I wanted to learn Russian, but it wasn't an option. And then I found out that Macquarie University offered Russian, so I transferred universities um, no, so that I could start Russian. Oh, <laughs> so um, I was always fascinated with uh, this guy Rasputin, who's oh like my a God, famous yes, Russian figure. Yes. <laughs> Like the last czar of yeah, Russia. Yeah, exactly. So you know how before I was, uh, he was the czar's advisor. Yeah. Um, he, he really messed up that family, huh? Yeah, and the future of Russia. Um, <laughs> so you know how before I was saying I get like intensely interested in things and I just like hyper fixate? Well, I learned Russian because I was hyper fixating on Rasputin. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Love that. So it started with, it started with the hyper fixation. Yeah, yeah. So we learned um, in... In year 11, there was a modern history subject. Yeah. I did this. (laughs) Yeah. And we learned a little bit about Rasputin and then I just like latched on. Um. (laughs) I did like a full 
research project on him. Yeah, me too. And then did like <laughs> an additional project that I didn't need to do yep. on him just because it was very interesting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly yep. the same, yes. <laughs> wow, okay. Okay. So you go through university, you learn your Russian, you go to Russia. Yes. Had you been overseas before? Never. Oh my God. <laughs> First time overseas. Yes, and uh, my parents had never been overseas either. Wow. Okay, so tell me about that. Uh, on day three, my passport was stolen. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> in Russia, you need to be able to produce the equivalent of your passport at all times, or at least you did when I went. And so I knew before I went that I needed to take a photocopy of my passport mm. around and not have my real passport with me. But the international university required you to bring your passport in so that they could see the real copy. Um, and I also knew not to have cash on me, but the passport office required you to pay in cash. Uh, the university, sorry, oh required you God. to pay in cash. So I was on the bus and... I got pickpocketed um, from my bag, not from my pocket. And um, I went to speak to the person in charge. Well, first I cried forever. Yes. um, And had a million (laughs) and one panic attacks and went back to my dormitory. We called the police. They didn't come for nine hours and then they didn't care when they did come. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then we told – well, I I told the person in charge of the course and he said – that I needed to go because I was in St. Petersburg and there's no Australian consulate in St. Petersburg. So I needed to go to Moscow to be able to go to consulate to get an emergency passport issued. But in Russia, you need to produce your passport Passport. to go on the fast train between the cities. And I said, what am I going to do? I can't go to Moscow. If I do, I'm going to fail this course, which means I won't be able to finish my degree because it was one of the last subjects I did. Oh my God. Um, You've already got all the pressure. (laughs) And... He, I guess in some weird way, was trying to comfort me, but said something that stuck with me forever in ways of not to comfort people. Don't worry. If you try to go to Moscow, you will probably get arrested. And the police don't speak any English, so you'll be able to practice your Russian from the cell. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Tactful. Tactful. Emotionally intelligent. Love that. So good. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> then I had to tell my mum, who of course was uh, not happy with the situation, very yeah. concerned, very worried. Um, I had to cancel all my cards, try to work out a way to get a new card oh shipped to me. God. And of course, the internet, like it, it was existed, but it wasn't as big as it is now. Um, so mum had to go to the bank and somehow force them to give her a card for me, even though she oh. had no, I don't, I'm glad I wasn't at the bank that day. Um, <laughs> but I guess the greatest irony, um, was that my passport was found a few days later, um, maybe like five days later, six days later, after I'd panicked enough, um, in the garbage. <laughs> so I truly Whoa. am trash. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do they find it? Just have it. What? So apparently the police actually go through the bins because it's so common that people get pickpocketed. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and also people just told me that I was being a stupid Australian um, and it was my fault that Funny. I got stolen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So welcome to Russia. Yeah. 
enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> really uh, set the set the rest of the trip up well, huh? Yeah, you know, um, obviously this year, uh, before this year, I would have gone back in a heartbeat because I loved um, the cities so much. I thought they were so beautiful, um, and I really did enjoy my time there. Mm. Um, even even after that, because you know that was so early in the trip. <laughs> How long were you there for? Um, I think it was just over two months. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, like, tell me about your time in Russia. What was formative there? What did you enjoy? And So one thing that I think was particularly striking um, was that often on, like, in media, they portray, like, the Russian language and German language as sounding very, like, aggressive mm. um, and harsh. But actually, I think one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard is, like, a child speaking Russian and laughing. Really? Yeah, I remember very, like, strongly just being on a bus and there was like a four-year-old kid on the bus like playing with some toys and just having like a lot of fun and and talking to their mom and and laughing and everything and it was just like I'm not one to really enjoy the sound of children (laughs) on a public transport Um, but I did really enjoy this like it was just something so beautiful about it and I think the you know, the architecture in Russia is pretty famous, but photos just, you can't even see the colors in the photos. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I guess depending on how PG your podcast is, I <laughs> I went to Rasputin's Sex Museum. Um, so that was the ultimate uh, circle around for me yeah. of brilliance. <laughs> did, did that complete the fixation or was that just like uh, more of this? Yeah, well, I was like less of having to see his preserved that. penis. Um, <laughs> Did they preserve his penis? Yeah. So that was um, when he when they killed him. So for the listeners, they tried to kill Rasputin in several different ways, and he just kept not dying. So they tried to poison him with cyanide. And actually, a recent research paper looked at why he didn't die from the cyanide, which is really really cool and a niche um, niche niche expression of my interests. It's probably because of the temperature combined with the fact that he ate a head of garlic every day, which inhibits the spread of cyanide. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a really cool, like, paper. <laughs> See, um, but it shows that there are lots of other people who really happen to get into this niche. Yeah, I guess it does. It really does. <laughs> and they had to combine the history of knowing what he ate every day with the science wow. experiments, which is really cool. Um, and they beat him and he didn't die. I think they also they shot, shot him, him and he too. didn't die. Then they threw him in the river and he clawed his way through half an inch of ice before they pulled him from the river and he'd finally died. Yes. So, and then they burned him and he sat up, but that was because they hadn't like cut the ligaments. And so like, yeah. as he was like, as everything was contracting, like his muscles contracted. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think they found water in his lungs, right? Like he died of drowning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, yeah, it was just a reaction. But because of uh, the nature of Rasputin deriving his power from sex, uh, they thought that the reason he wasn't dying was from his penis. So they cut it off. <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah. And then there have been like hoaxes throughout history about Rasputin's penis. Like, really? yeah, so this one guy claimed to have it, but it was just like a sea cucumber. <laughs> um, but they reckon that the one that's in this uh, sex museum in, in St. Petersburg is really his um, actual penis. Yeah, and it's scary. <laughs> is it? Yeah, so they have it in the middle. Well, at the time, they had it in the middle of this room, and it's like in a stand, and there's like a glass box around it, and then it's like curtains around it because too much light will damage it. 
So you have to like go past it and like peek through the curtains. <laughs> the worst kind of peep show. It's so weird. And then there's just like all these things about Rasputin and his death around it. So it's like heaps morbid, but then like almost comedic. Oh yeah, my it's God. very strange. That's so bizarre. Yeah. And I love it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> So weird. So for my museum studies degree, one of the assignments we had to do was to um, design an exhibition around a weird item that we knew was in a museum. So I designed an <laughs> exhibition around a student's penis. <laughs> and I um, had proposed like a bunch of other like famous figures from history that could also like be displayed. Um, and I just remember the, the convener of the course, just having a field day. Like, um, he was writing so (laughs) many funny comments. Like, I think I said that, um, they should write like the name, the length of the penis, the reason he died and something else. And the, um, convener wrote, yes, three things all men would like to be remembered for. (laughs) Um, undergrad sounds fun yeah yeah it was because they they had actually discontinued the majors so I was like the last person to enroll and so my classes were very small right um so the conveners had a lot of fun with us um and I remember the convener gave me like a a HD which is a high distinction um but he laughed at giving me a HD for for the assignment as well (laughs) really fun i wish more yeah. people had like a good experience at the universe yeah. <laughs> oh my god okay so your undergrad sounds really fun you did the science component and then what was it that shifted the focus away from more i suppose art history base to science so i guess before I answer that question, my degree does sound very fun, and it, it definitely was to a degree, but the oh, to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess like the whole time I was really struggling with feeling like I didn't belong and nobody wanted me there. Mm. So there were elements of the degree that were very fun, but for the majority of the degree, I felt very isolated right. and like alone. Um, and I also felt like I was in a space that I shouldn't be in um and that like people didn't want me there or that I didn't belong there and I guess that comes back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast about that journey um so I never considered science because I never considered science could be for someone like me Mm. I didn't know growing up anyone that had been to university except for teachers and I was not a good student at school Um, and I did not like get along with my science teacher. So I had her for like three years in a row and I used to skip her classes (laughs) (laughs) and she used to not dob me in for skipping her classes. So I think it was a mutual (laughs) dislike. Um, so I never, ever, ever thought about doing science or even considered it. Uh, but the reason I was doing English was because I wanted to study science fiction and fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then at Macquarie University, they used to have a requirement that you would do a subject outside your faculty. So Mm. there was a subject outside my faculty, which Tara also did, um, (laughs) called Life, the Universe and Everything. And it was my introduction to astrobiology. Wow. And Tara's. Yeah, and Tara's. 
Wow. Um, <clears throat> that course. Yes, it changes a lot of lives. Of course. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I think it's the course convener. Really? Um, his name was Simon, and he. Oh. Oh, he's so lovely. Yes, he made me felt like I belonged at university, and that somebody believed in me and would invest in me, and he did that, and oh. gave me the confidence to believe that I could study that and to get where I am now. So. Wow. Obviously, the subject matter is hugely, hugely interesting, mm-hmm. but it's, I think, the person behind that that was going the extra mile for their students. Wow. Oh, it really solidifies just how important and impactful like a good educator can be, really. Yeah, and um, how impactful a bad educator can yeah. be. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... You finished school. Did you finish school? No, I didn't. I left during year 11. Right. And then what was it that made you want to go back and then pursue tertiary education? Spite? Oh, I love that. Yeah. That is, that's, I think that's one of my favorite answers. Because <laughs> me too. Yeah. So when I dropped out of school, they made me go around to all my teachers and get them to sign off on me dropping mm-hmm. out of school. And so all of them told me that I would never amount to anything and I was ruining my life. And That's disgusting. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah, I think they were, I don't know. Like, I mean, I was good at school, but I never went to school. <laughs> so I think they were quite conflicted <laughs> about me in general. Um, <clears throat> and so I think they were trying to tell me not to drop out or maybe they were just really thought I wouldn't amount to anything. I don't really know. I don't care. Um, but for a long time I did care and that really drove me to show everyone at school and the teachers that I could be someone and that I could be something. Wow. What a driver. Yeah. It's probably not the most, uh, healthy driver. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not when it's coupled with that, like that self-critic criticism that we were talking about earlier yeah exactly and I only say that because I I empathize with that as well I yeah I've gotten through a lot of things either out of spite being like well I'll show you what I can do yes <laughs> and and you know that being paired with this insane in a sense of <laughs> you're not good enough you better prove to everybody that you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't fail <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and there's also this sort of idea that, like, if you can prove it, maybe you can prove it to yourself as well, mm. although that never happens. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, even I just got a new job and the other day I was Googling, like, oh, like, it's not that prestigious to get this job or anything, like, just because I felt like I got the job, so therefore anybody could get the job. Oh, <laughs> and, God. Um, yeah, just, like, really talk myself down in any given moment of time. God, I feel that, though, too. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I did relatively well in university. I was getting high distinctions and things. And I thought, oh, it's just because, like, it's a, it's because of the cohort. Like, the cohort's maybe a small cohort yeah. or maybe it's a small uni or the lecturers were, you know, drunk when they were marking it or yeah. whatever. It's, it's never, I've achieved this. It's always, like... It's a condition that totally. allows you to achieve it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That being said, though, you did get this job which is very exciting and you did say earlier on that you're moving to California yes so congrats thank you (laughs) (laughs) so the past few months I've been trying to convince myself that it's not a joke um (laughs) but I got a job at NASA 
Laboratories, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Oh my god. Um, and I keep waiting for somebody to call me and tell me that it's not real, but apparently it is real, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. When do you move? It's soon, right? Yeah. So it's funny. You spoke to my husband a few episodes ago. Just before you just got before married. Just before we got married. Yes. And I think that uh, every time we speak to you, it must be like before a major life change. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to consider before we come on the podcast again. <laughs> be very, very careful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm meant to be moving like within the next month, essentially. Wow. Yeah, very yeah. quick. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. I'm going to ask you to take that up. I'm so excited. <laughs> just a moment of like fangirling. It's so exciting. Um, have you lived overseas before? No, uh, never. I've gone, to, I've gone to Russia, as we spoke about, and mm-hmm. then I, it was meant to be in Germany for four months, um, but I'd been in Germany for like a month and a half when COVID hit. Um, so no like long-term moves overseas. I did have a failed move to Queensland when I was 18. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I um, thought it would solve all my problems if I ran away from them. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I grew up as a young child in Queensland and I decided to move back up there where my aunt and cousins live. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, it didn't solve all my problems. So... <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who'd have thunk it? Um, and then I was actually had a very bad car accident while I was there. So oh. my mum and dad asked me to move back home after I got out of the hospital and <clears throat> had recovered some time. So mm. I was like, yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. Wow. I was uh, driving in the rain and um, my car, I guess, like there was somebody else on the road and I was like focusing on them and I thought they were coming into my lane and I swerved to avoid them. And I rolled the car like four times, took out a few school signs, wow. uh, car got crushed. My hand got crushed. Wow. Yeah. Lots of people running out into the street, uh, like, oh my God, is she dead? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It was intense. Yeah. It sounds it. Yeah. That sounds shocking. Yeah. It was a bit aggressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also totally understand the parents being like, mm, we're back now. Because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to be in a hospital for a while and I had to get surgery on my hand and wow. stuff like that. So oh it was, my God. Um, it was very dramatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was this before or after you'd started uni? Uh, it was before I started uni because I had applied to go to a university in Queensland and they rejected me. So I was just sort of like, I don't know what to do. How now. very sort of serendipitous that you ended yeah. up at a university then. Yes. Like, yeah. It was a lot of factors that like yeah, led, led me there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to young people looking to get into STEM? Yeah, I think one of the most common misconceptions is that if you want to do STEM, you have to be this really high achieving person who knows exactly what they want to do and is on this particular pathway that's like locked in. Um, And I think from what I've talked about today, it's evident that's not me. Um, and I think one of the other things is, uh, there's also this misconception that STEM is not creative and that, mm. you know, if you're creative, you need to do like arts and humanities. Um, and if you're logical, you need to do STEM, but that in my experience is absolutely not true. I do way more creative things in STEM than I ever did in the humanities. 
Really? Yeah, I mean, every Friday afternoon is my making figures day and I'm creating things in Illustrator um, and like drawing models and building pictures and learning how to craft a narrative that's interesting to people mm. in lots of different ways. And I think it's the same when I'm writing. So you write these incredibly dry technical scientific papers mm. but then you need to know how to communicate that story in social media mm. in um for different audiences in a talk um if you want to write a blog about it and so you learn how to apply a narrative to different audiences and there's something very creative about that uh, for sure um, and then, of course, there's in the lab, you're incredibly creative. You're designing experiments. You're trying to work out how to do things that nobody's ever done before. So there's no, like, box by which you have to do it. You create that yourself. Mm. Um, so I think that that's certainly, like, another misconception people have. So I think, you know, if you want to do STEM, then do STEM. Like, don't let somebody tell you you have to be the smartest person in the room because mm. uh, very few people actually are they just pretend they are (laughs) (laughs) and like you know don't let someone tell you that only a certain type of person can be in stem so for instance i am an organic geochemist who does astrobiology and geology is the least diverse science um, in terms of gender in terms of race in terms of orientation Um, and so there's a perception that only certain types of people can, can do geology and it's not true. And it's actually problematic for geology and society to only have one type of person doing Mm. geology. Yeah. Wow. Has, has it been difficult going into an industry that is so underrepresented yes even in the past few months i was told that for my new job i must be a diversity hire oh my god um and that's just the most recent example uh, that i can bring up um but i also i often think about the moral imperatives about recruiting people into geoscience in a field that has many structural limitations Mm. um and how you know, we can't just rely on the next generation to change things. We need to change it now and have other people changing it that are in more privileged positions to be able to change it as well. We need to all work together. Mm. And I think there's a prevailing perception that, oh, we'll just leave it to the next generation or just get better over mm-hmm. time while the people who perpetuate those problems just get away with it. <laughs> how do you how do you change it now? Uh I mean, there's lots of different ways to change it. I don't want to say there's only one way because what works for one person might not work for another person. Mm-hmm. You know, some people might stand up and, and say something, but that doesn't mean that's the only way. And there's certainly a lot of people who wouldn't feel comfortable, who wouldn't be physically or mentally safe doing that. Yeah. Um, but without recognizing what the inequities and what the structural problems are, we can't do anything. So we just bury our heads in the sand. And I think a lot of people think the problem's too big. They don't know where to start. So they just put it in the too hard basket without even considering it. Mm -hmm. And I think the other problem is there's a lot of 
research into what needs to be done (laughs) but people just discount it because they don't read that type of research or they don't want to engage with it because they don't value it as like real and I'm doing inverted commas here because I don't agree with this they don't value it as real science when it is and um, so they just pretend there's no solutions because they don't want to see the solutions but they just need to do the work to see that there are plenty of people engaging with this yeah absolutely how do you, as a scientist, who's, who's, you know, a woman, how do you personally exist within that particular system which has all of those really detrimental narratives and framing stories? How do you maintain a sense of self and a sense of, you know, gratitude and strength when the prevailing narrative is, oh, well, you must have been the diversity hire? I think you find your small communities, uh, you whisper networks um, that you can talk about these things with, um, that you can rely on and that you can trust. Uh, you know, I'm a, quite a solitary person, um, so I just retreat when I need to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, I just tell people that they're, you know, uh, I'm not going to recount things, um, but <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's easier for me than a lot of people. I'm white, for example. So mm-hmm. that obviously creates like a huge amount of privilege in the space in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you just realize that this is these, these structures, this inherent institutional problems exist in almost every career so I could leave geology mm-hmm. and, and without trying to change it and without doing that work and go somewhere else and there's going to be other problems there as well and so I can do the thing that I really enjoy which is learning about the universe mm-hmm. and then I can do the work to try to make it a better space for lots of different people mm-hmm. or I could go to a job that I care less about and I'm less passionate about and end up working with other people to change that job as well right (laughs) so no matter where you go there's work to be done yeah and there's a lot of really good people doing a lot of really good work Mm -hmm. and so I think we often focus on the negatives because it's very overwhelming (laughs) the amount of negatives that there often are but there's a lot of great organizations um, that are seeking to like decolonize geoscience that are seeking to increase the visibility and um, opportunities for women in geoscience. There's uh, like, you know, queers in science, there's urge geoscience, there's lots of programs. There's Mm. programs for increasing the accessibility of field trips because often they're inaccessible for physical and mental disabilities. And so there are a lot of people working to change it. Mm. And so there's a lot of great people to work with, a lot of great partner organizations to to work with and, and put that energy in instead of putting the energy into the people that aren't going to listen anyway <laughs> perpetuate those, yeah but yeah ongoing I mean, stereotypes and negative narratives yes yeah. exactly yeah i love that that's beautiful and and so true it's so everywhere and i think it just sort of it's a matter of being bothered to do the work and to find the networks and to like gain awareness of yourself and others and the world in which you inhabit and you know it's a challenge to change an environment that you're in because you need to actually build awareness around it and be proactive around how you conduct yourself and 
what you're actually sort of going up against it's a lot easier to sort of close your eyes and just keep moving forward <laughs> keep moving forward yeah and I think it's exhausting and um scary to have to educate people around you uh, especially if they're your boss or there's some sort of inherent power dynamic involved in that which you know in any career there is and in academia there's often a lot and a lot of um, power dynamics at play and so it can be very difficult because the people that are often doing the educated the educating are the people that are most at risk wow really yes (laughs) yeah yeah I suppose the dial moves slowly, but it moves, right? (laughs) Yeah, it definitely definitely moves. And, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in astrobiology, that's a a large passion of people in astrobiology. There's a lot of inclusivity and a lot of thinking about how we can forward that. And it's interesting to see the dichotomy between the two different types of science. Really? Yeah. That's encouraging, though. It's very encouraging, yes. There's a lot of great um, things that that are happening from early career people, for sure. And, and mid-career people. That's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's, um, there's a future to look forward to. <laughs> and a now to look forward to. Yes. Um, my final question, is there anything that you wanted to talk about or mention that we haven't already touched on that's part of your journey? Yeah, I guess I don't want to leave the podcast saying that, you know, participating in science is negative and exhausting because I don't think that um, – that is necessarily like the way that it always is. I think that there's so many exciting things in science and, and so many ways and places that it can take you. Mm. Um, you know, for me, the only times I've, uh, I've been overseas for holidays now, but growing up, like that was a big attractive for me to go into science was, mm. oh my gosh, I can, I can travel. I won't be able to travel otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of meeting other people and learning to think in different ways and learning how to critically evaluate information. So there's there's lots of really, really great stuff. And I definitely don't want to sound too negative about it. Not at all. I, I also, I love what you were saying about anybody can do STEM. If you want to do STEM, just do STEM. Um, it's really lovely to talk to a diverse range of people in this field because it, you know, makes it so much more accessible and reachable (laughs) to everybody I think I definitely had preconceived notions of what it meant to be in science and to be in STEM but like through conversations like this it really just opens up what it looks like to be in that field and what people look like who are in that field yeah and I think it's really different for everyone like all of our perspectives and our experiences are completely different even if we're from a similar geographic area even um, and I think that just shows like the diversity of, of human experience and actually how human STEM is. Mm. Um, you know, we like to pretend it's in a vacuum and we can say stuff that's completely unbiased in our like papers, but they're yes. always in, influenced by our perspectives, even when it comes down to the type of research questions we ask, who's involved in our team, um, who's writing the paper with us, what are the experiences we've had in our life to, oh, to bring absolutely. us to this point. Like that epistemological information. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> underpins everything yeah yeah Yeah. exactly thank you so much thank you joining us and yeah it's been so lovely to have you and yeah thanks for your insight thanks for having me 
I often finish episodes by stating how much I enjoyed them, and it's true, I genuinely enjoy speaking with all the amazing people we have on this podcast, but there is something about the way Bonnie speaks of her journey that I really resonate with. She isn't limited to a singular passion or interest, rather throughout her journey has been able to find fascination and intrigue in a multitude of things which cross disciplines and subsections of society. She brings wisdom to the conversation about STEM and what is required to make it more inclusive, and then in the same breath is also able to bring humour. Through talking with Bonnie, I'm really left with a reminder that life should be lived with you putting your full energy into it, and at the same time, finding balance. At Miratorance, we want to create a community of storytellers, and so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment, or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation, and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, everyone has a story, you just need to ask the right questions. <laughs>